Welcome to the Dr. April Jasper Show, relevant conversations for business owners of today. Welcome, everyone. We're so excited to spend the next few minutes with you. I know that this is something that you've been looking forward to. I know that Carl and I have. It is the first in a series. You're going to hear about us and you're going to see these every month. So uh, look forward to that as well. But we really planned this one specifically for the fact that we want to talk about what's going on in the world today of optometry. So we're going to give you some information, we're going to share some data with you, and then we really want to make sure that you ask questions. So I've got the questions open. Whenever you start, want to start sending them in, please do so. Yeah, April, I think it's exciting to be here and to start this. Uh, and a little bit different maybe than other continuing education programs. Uh, we're primarily going to focus on practice management, uh, how to run your practice, how to be profitable. Uh, and we're going to start tonight with just a baseline of where the industry is, uh, what's going on in optometry, all the different uh, components that are affecting all of us in our day-to-day -day practice. Uh, and then over the next several months, uh, we'll take some time and walk through uh, how to look at all of these as opportunities uh, and how to be successful in your practice. And then don't forget to stay afterwards. So we're going to have a separate session that is after this where you can join in. It is not CE, but we're going to have a a good time just having a conversation, answering more questions, and just talking about whatever it is you guys want to talk about tonight. So we're going to have a great time. Yep. And a special thanks uh, tonight to Macchia Health. Uh, they're sponsoring tonight's education through an unrestricted educational grant. So none of this is possible without them. So thank to the people over at Macchia Health. All right, so you go first, Carl. Tell them about you. Yeah, for those of you that uh, that don't know me, not, my name is Carl Spear. I'm an optometrist. Uh, you can see the things in the obligatory COPE disclosure slide that I'm involved with now. Uh, but really, my passion is private practice, uh, running practices. Uh, prior to uh, going to work for Essilor Exotica, we had seven uh, primary care optometry practices, 14 ODs, vertically integrated with ophthalmology. Uh, and what we really prided ourselves on was delivering a great customer slash patient experience and also in running a very profitable office. Yeah, you know, Carl, you and Katie taught David and I so much. It's really made an impact on our practice. And I think that's another reason that we really want to do this tonight and going forward is we want to give back. We want to be able to share with you a lot of the things that we've done and help you to be able to uh, be able to put into practice the things that will make your practice more profitable as well. So here you can see some of the things that I've been working on these days. I had a patient the other day ask me if retirement was fun. And I was just like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even know what that looks like. But no, I haven't retired. As you can tell here, I just do a lot of other things now as well as seeing patients. And I have had a great time with it. It's been yeah. fun to be able to learn as well from the industry and from other things happening out there in our world. So as we get started, what we want to do, again, we wanted to start our first in our series with really talking about the future of optometry and this data. The reason I think this is important, and Carl and I may have different opinions, it's okay if we do, that's why it's kind of fun to watch us sometimes, is that we're going to talk about the current state of optometry, we're going to look at trends and data, and we're going to look at how that's shaping what's happening around us. But ultimately, I'm going to give you the answer to the question we're going to ask you in a minute, which is, what is the future of optometry? 
And I will tell you, the answer really is, as I say it, it's up to you. Yeah, we, we both think optometry. The one thing we always agree on uh, is that optometry is a great profession. Uh, there's a lot in the, you know, as you go to meetings and you talk to people, uh, there seems to be people that are discouraged and a little bit yeah. down on optometry. Uh, and, you know, for the two of us, we really see optometry today uh, as a great profession to be in. Uh, and, and I hope as we walk through this presentation, all of you will see that the opportunities uh, and the things that you can do in your practice are incredible. Uh, now, to do that, we're going to ask everybody to put on a little bit of a different brain tonight as we go through the data. Uh, this is a pretty data-heavy uh, presentation. Uh, and as optometrists, if we did a disc profile, where we did sort of a personality profile of every optometrist, really all healthcare practitioners, uh, what we find is that healthcare providers uh, would be S's and C's. They're, uh, you know, they're caring, compassionate type people, uh, not necessarily business people. Uh, and there's, you know, we hear it said over and over, as, oh, uh, most optometrists, they don't think about the business. Uh, and that's true. And honestly, I don't think our patients want us to think about the business. Our patients want us to be those compassionate caring professionals that we are. Uh, but tonight, for at least for the next 40 minutes or so, let's try to look at, you know, just take the emotion out of it, look at the industry, look at all the trends, look at the data, and then we can take that at the end of tonight and when we get into changing focus and we can talk about, okay, how do we take that data and position our practices to take the very best care of our patients as well as to be profitable for all of us. I think you put those pictures up there to say April and sometimes I'm rational, but yeah, I think emotional definitely fits us very well. Yeah, it is. And and a lot of times I, I approach it from a much more business minded and, and April is the quintessential uh, <laughs> emotional uh, caring uh, provider that uh, that many of us are. All right, so we mentioned already that we wanna hear and see your questions, so I have it open here. So when you guys send in questions, we'll be able to see them and we'll get to them as, as fast as we can throughout the presentation. So please join us with comments and, and questions as you feel like it's it works for you. All right, so let's go ahead and start. Can you guys get ready for a question? In a minute, we're gonna pop one up. And the very first question is, and you can't use my answer, this has got to be real and from your heart, do you think it's a good time to be an optometrist? So when that question pops up, I want you to type in, we only give you one, uh, two answers, two possible answers, yes or no. And we look forward to seeing what you think. But we'll tell you in a few minutes what we see as we go around the country and ask this question. And Carl kind of alluded to it. We know that there's a lot going on in the world of optometry, not just what we're going to show you today, but also a lot of stress. It's not just us. It's every profession and it's the world in general. But what do you think about this? Do you think it's a good time to be an optometrist? Yeah, and April, we ask this question a lot. Uh, a lot of times we'll ask audiences, and we do these polling in a lot of the presentations we give, and a lot of times we'll ask optometrists, hey, if you were going to optometry, if you were doing it all over, would you go to optometry school again? And what we see, uh, it actually makes us a little bit sad, I think, because yeah. a lot of the times we'll see that about half the audience will say if they were starting over, 
they wouldn't necessarily go to optometry school. Uh, if you ask that same question, there was a recent poll in Medscape that came out, and about 70% of all physicians say that they would go back to medical school and do what they were doing. So, April, what about uh, what about this poll and what is our audience saying? Well, listen to this, you guys. So the question again, do you think it's a good time to be an optometrist? 95% of you say yes. So, hey, that's pretty impressive. Not something we've seen before. We got a great crowd. We do. We, we can just stop now <laughs> because you guys have already uh, got to the answer. Uh, and, and usually when we do this question, uh, it's usually about 75 to 80 uh, percent of, of the respondents say, yeah, they think it's a good time to be, op be an optometrist. So uh, we're all sort of passionate about it. Just not sure that we would necessarily do it again. But uh, great results tonight. And uh, I think you guys are going to be able to take them what we go through and figure out how you transition it to your practice. So now we want to start into some of the facts. So we're going to talk about the state of the profession in 2023, where we are now. Yeah, so um, we, we collect data from a lot of sources. We're both fortunate to get to go out and speak quite a bit uh, to meet with a variety of companies. Uh, but in you know full disclosure, uh, almost everything that we're presenting tonight is open source data. You could go and, and Google it and find it. Now, we spend a lot of time uh, consistently tracking the data and keeping up with it. It's sort of the, the geek optometrist, the nerdy optometrist that comes out in both of us. Uh, but all great resources here if you want to find more data uh, or look even deeper at some of the things that we're going to present tonight. And I think it's important that we look at this with the eyes of a business person because optometry is a business. And that's what you're going to see as we go through these slides. And that's really, I think, Carl, why we wanted to start out with this, because we wanted to set the stage, walk through the opportunity, look at the data. And because 95% of you think it's a great time to be an optometrist, this is a good amount of data for you to really feel better about it, but also see opportunity where you can make a difference even more so in your own practice. Yeah, so April, let's do another question and ask the audience uh, just to level set, Okay. see what the audience thinks. So uh, we're gonna look at just the US optical retail market. Uh, and the question will be coming up here in just a minute for you. And basically we're just asking, hey, in dollars, how big do we think this, uh, how, how big do we think the market is? Uh, you've got various choices there uh, to choose from. Uh, now this data just includes eye exams, frames, lenses, uh, over-the-counter readers, uh, sunglasses, uh, as part in contact lenses is what's included in this data. So the number we're looking for here doesn't even include the medical surge or all the medical that you guys are doing in your practice. It doesn't include the instrument sales and all sort of the support industry uh, that surrounds optometry in our profession. All right, can't wait to see what they think. Yeah. Your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun. Your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. 
MacU Health with Micromycel, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromycel technology. This number uh, actually surprises some people. Uh, and because of the way the data has changed a little bit, uh, we got some really good updated data over the past year. So April, what, what's everybody say? The majority of us on the, the call tonight, $50 billion is 66% uh, of our viewers. Okay, so about 66% think it's at $50 billion. What do you think it is? You know, I think it's pretty big. Let's go with 75. Yeah, you like the, it's always good when you know the answer. Yeah, so the, the U.S. optical market is uh, $76 billion. Uh, and, you know, I always say, start follow the money, start with the money. So as we look at a lot of things that are happening around optometry and around eye care, uh, we'll talk later about private equity and acquisitions in. Uh, but also, I think, think about this uh, from the disruption sometimes that we see. Uh, we're a big market. And compared to, uh, we both got friends, actually, April's got uh, a sister who uh, is a is a MD, is a hospitalist. Uh, and if you look at our profession uh, from the standpoint of we really have the professional component, the professional services component, but we also have the ability for retail sales, uh, that combination actually makes it a lucrative industry for us as providers but it also makes it a very attractive industry for outside investment companies. Uh, I think part of that is a great benefit to us because we see a lot of companies yeah. investing in technology. April, I know you're involved in a lot of new studies, clinical studies and different things. So you see it firsthand. I'm excited about it. I think it's awesome that we have uh, so much that's being invested into our profession because that all is going to be good for our patients. So my question to you, Carl, is this number growing? And maybe you're going to show me that. Do you expect or maybe do you expect it can, to continue to grow? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm again, I think it's a great time to be an optometrist. Uh, I think this market will continue to grow. Uh, a lot of the data, a lot of the numbers that we're going to look at tonight will sort of lead to that. Uh, we've got an aging population. We've got a population that that's getting older. Uh, just actually in increase in prices in retail prices alone, as we're looking at retail dollars, is going to continue to grow this. So, yeah, this market, uh, new drugs that are coming on the market, uh, more patients. Uh, this is going to be a little bit controversial when I say it. Uh, more and more patients covered by managed vision plans. Uh, so for, you know, and we're going to spend a lot of time over the next few weeks talking about managed vision plans, uh, how to work processes and protocols in your office. But those managed vision plans do bring a lot of patients into the office that might not otherwise come. So I think on this one, uh, what you hear and what we hear when we go out and about is, okay, so I see that number. And now, Carl, you're saying you think that it will continue to grow, but isn't everybody just consolidating anyway? Yeah, you know, and so I think that's one of the, you know, when April and I've done some lectures uh, different on different topics called Mythbusters. Uh, and I think one of the things, it's slowed down a little bit now, but one of the prevailing thoughts that's been out there is uh, private equity is buying up all the practices, they're consolidating, uh, there's not any independent practices left. Uh, the hard reality of it is, and it's a little tough to get a, a firm number, 
but only about 12 to 15% of all practices uh, have been acquired by private equity. So that means that there's a significant number of independent offices out there, uh, single or multiple doctor practices uh, that are seeing and taking care of patients on a, on a, in a big way. Uh, we also look today, uh, private equity is not buying practices like they were a year ago or two years ago. Uh, the cost of capital has gotten expensive for them. Uh, and we'll talk as we go through some of the other demographics uh, about where that has slowed uh, and why it's slowed in our market. So when you look at this slide, I know there's a lot on there, so we're going to make sure we make it visible to you. But as you look at this slide, I like to know where is all that money coming from? And we could spend an entire hour on this one. We could look at how it's broken down, but here's what's coming next. And I'll let Carl explain the slide a little bit better. Just know that as you look at all of those columns, as you look at all those categories, knowing that that money is being spent in those areas, if you're like me, it inspires you to learn how to better manage each of those areas in your practice. And that's what we're going to teach you as we go down the next few uh, few series of webinars. But Carl, tell us more about this slide. Yeah, so April, I think you hit it. I think, you know, when we look at this slide, I think the first thing to look at, uh, think of the percentages up there, uh, value of goods sold. Just think about that as, as $1. So for every dollar that's spent in eye care, 20 cents goes toward the eye exam. Uh, and I think next, next month, our topic is going to be on, uh, on vision plans. It's going to be vision plans 101, how to be profitable with vision plans. Uh, we focus a lot of energy and effort on the exam fees and what we get paid. Uh, really and truly, though, for the patient, that's only making up 20% of the dollars that they're spending in our practices. Uh, and April, what do we see as we go around as far as how much focus optometrists put on the patient clinical care side versus the rest of the practice? It's it's interesting because we talk about medical, we talk about vision, and it's different everywhere you go. Most people, though, are spending a ton of time on how do I do a better job taking care of that exam process? What technology do I need to buy? That's all good. But what about what's happening in the optical? Yeah. And so this slide shows you that, you know, that other 80% uh, is being spent on materials. Uh, so having good processes in your optical for frames and lenses, for contact lenses, uh, Plano sunglasses, do we have enough inventory, uh, over-the-counter readers, uh, patients, our consumers slash patients are spending a lot of money. Uh, we've already got these patients captured in our in our office. They're already our patients. Yeah. So it's really up to us to talk to them. And, and quite honestly, it's in the best interest of the patient. Uh, I think I know that April will tell you that she's got the best materials, the best quality, and also going to service and support that better than anybody else. Yeah, I love it. That's what makes us happy at the end of the day. It took us a while to learn it. Another reason we want to teach everybody else because I was focusing my attention in the wrong places for a long time. You are all amazing doctors. I don't think that is a debate at all. I mean, obviously new, new products come out, new materials, new things that we need to learn about. But on the other hand, what's happening with the rest of the practice, yeah. the other 50% or as we're seeing here, 80%. Yeah. So let's talk about the demand 
let's talk about demographics and distribution as we look at optometry and the future of optometry. So we're gonna talk in a minute about some of the challenges in optometry. Again, I turn everything into optometry, but first let's ask a question. Could you use an optometrist in your practice? And I'll finish that out by saying right now. And so in a minute, you'll see that question pop up. We'd love for you to be able to uh, put an answer in there for us so we can see what your thoughts are. And then we'll also share with you what we see around the country as we talk to people all over. And, you know, Carl, you were asking me about this a little bit earlier today, and I think that the answer is going to be different depending on where you are, what your situation is. Did you just open a practice or are you uh, in an established practice? Are you wanting to cut back a little bit? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of variables here, but I don't need an optometrist right now. I'm just not at that point. How about you? Yeah, so uh, my wife uh, just... We, we got out of, we sold our practices several years ago. My wife started back. Uh, she currently, she bought two practices. She opened a third one. Uh, she employs right now four doctors, uh, We three, and then we have a brand new doctor starting on Monday. Uh, and if you ask her, she could use two more optometrists right now, uh, five days a week. So uh, the demand that we see for patient care is very strong. Uh, and just like many of you, I think we're going to see there's a huge demand to hire to hire an optometrist and to find one. And we'll talk about some of the expectations of students in a few minutes. So, April, what did we say? We have 40 percent say that they could use an optometrist one to two days per week. Five, let's see, 13 percent say they could use an optometrist five or more days per week. 22% three to four days a week and 22% say, no, we're doing okay right now. Yeah, and you know, that's pretty close to what we see. We've done this several times, uh, different formats uh, across a variety of audiences and sizes of audience. And it's almost uh, 40 to 50% of people are looking for an optometrist at least four to five days a week. Uh, did some research recently and if you look at all the job postings for optometrists, there's over 6,000 job postings, unique job postings out there today looking to hire an optometrist. Uh, so it, it's one of the reasons it's a great, great time to be an optometrist. We're in great, we're in high demand. So I like to jokingly say this is one of Carl's favorite slides. It could be because it's been around for a little bit of time. And I think that all of us that know him and have ever heard him talk about this he could talk about this for an hour, but the reason is it's got a lot of really important information. And my question to him earlier was, okay, Carl, so the slide's been around a little bit. You can tell everybody how long. Is it, did it work? Did they predict things correctly? Yeah, I mean, this slide came out in, in 2000. Uh, and, you know, this was data that came out of Department of Labor, Department of Health. And essentially it's a supply and demand curve. Yeah. It's just basically looking at, hey, based on the, the projected growth in disease state. So the yellow line there was the projection of the increase in diabetic retinopathy, macular degeneration, glaucoma, and cataracts from 2000 to 2025. Um, and the thing that I will tell you is they missed on that number. Uh, there are more patients with diabetic retinopathy and more patients with the disease states than what this shows. The other thing that it shows you is back in 2000, April, how many ophthalmologists do we have? 
It looks like we have about 17, 18,000. Yep. And it's 20. Look like it's changed. And it's not changed and it's not going to. Uh, what we're seeing is the number of ophthalmologists that are graduating from residencies and the number that retire every year is about the same. We'll, we'll see a little bit of growth over the next few years, but it's going to be minimal. Uh, the number of ophthalmology residencies is not growing. It's not going up. So that number is staying the same. Now, the, the other line is the increase in optometrists. Uh, and it will show you that in 2000, we had about 32,000 optometrists projected now to be about 45 to 48,000. Uh, those numbers actually are pretty accurate, but we're going to talk about them in much more detail, break those numbers down. And I think what everybody is going to recognize really quickly is that, hey, uh, we don't have enough optometrists. I think our last slide and last question pr proved that as well. Absolutely. If you suffer from dry, scratchy, irritated eyes, the problem may actually stem from your eyelids. Cleansing eyelids daily is essential for maintaining healthy eyes, which is why doctors recommend OcuSoft Lid Scrub Allergy Eyelid Cleanser. New OcuSoft Lid Scrub Allergy removes oil, pollen, and other contaminants from your eyelids to effectively reduce redness, irritation, and itching caused by seasonal allergies. These pre-moistened wipes are easy to use, on the go, or at home. Simply wipe and leave on. As the industry standard of care, OcuSoft has a full line of eyelid cleansers for various conditions. Available through eye care professionals, most retail outlets, and Amazon.com. Visit OcuSoft.com for more details. So I think that the next thing to think about, though, when you look at the number of optometrists, you look at the number of ophthalmologists, and then the demand, which I think we made it obviously clear from that slide, they underestimated the demand. So. I want to know, though, Carl, how many more years do our folks in the audience plan to work? So we're going to post that question for you. Go ahead and click in for us so we can see what your thoughts are. How many more years do you plan to work? What and, about you? Yeah, so it, I get asked that all the time. and <laughs> Not uh, because we're old. <laughs> so uh, Just like people think you've retired. Uh, I've got five kids. Uh, so I don't think I'm ever going to retire, uh, nor do I want to. I love what I do. I love optometry. Uh, and, and quite honestly, I, I don't know what I would do. I don't have uh, enough hobbies to quit and retire. What about you? How long? I don't know that I ever want to uh, retire. I mean, retirement to me, I don't even understand the word. I love seeing patients. I love doing things that bring value to others. And I think I might just, like I've been doing, Carl, find other ways to do that. But even now I'm in the office two days a week. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what our audience says. And then we're going to really, after we do a couple of these questions, we're going to take a deep dive into the numbers uh, and what, you know, what we, we can share with you, what audiences tell us. But then we're really going to look at, hey, what, what is the real case of retirement that's going to happen? All right. I want to give you the answers. You ready? Yeah. And I don't know what you're going to think of it. So I'll, I'll listen for that. All right. So how many more years do you plan to work? Less than five years is 35% of you. Five to 10 years, 30%. More than 20 years, let's skip to that, is 5%. 15 to 20 years, 10%. And so the majority of, uh, yeah, I was going to say patients. Yeah. The majority of us on the on the call tonight 
less than five years is how many more years you plan to work. Now that doesn't mean it's all old people like us. Yeah. So, but if I heard that right, if I heard that right, you told me that 65% of the audience tonight responded that they would be retired in 10 years. Yes. So, and, and there was a recent study, I can't remember where I saw it. And so I'll apologize to whoever published the data. I think I saw a recent study that said that 30, I think it's 34% of ODs plan to retire within the next 10 years. Uh, our numbers would say it's bigger. And we'll take a look at the demographics and say that in reality, that 30% number actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, and so, again, for those of us, I guess, that are going to practice forever, April, <laughs> uh, you know, it's a pretty good time to be an optometrist. That's right. All right. We're going to ask another question here in just a moment. So get ready for it. And that is to continue understanding where you're at. How many days a week do you see patients currently? So it'll be interesting to see how these numbers compare, knowing that, yeah. what did you say, 65? That was really good. You, you heard how he did the math quickly. 65% want to, uh, are going to retire soon, but I want to know how many days a week they see patients today. Yeah, and... and when we and this is part of what drives the need, right? When we had our practices before uh, of the 14, 15 ODs that we had, I think only three or four were seeing patients five days a week. And this was in 2016 when we sold. So at, at that point, uh, we really look at, you know, that was that far back. Uh, what we've seen since and what COVID had sort of drove a little bit, uh, we saw a lot of practitioners who were later in their career uh, after COVID decided to retire. We saw some younger practitioners who maybe were working consistently three or four days a week or two days a week uh, on a consistent schedule. Uh, we saw that, you know, when they maybe didn't work through COVID, that instead of going back to this consistent work schedule, what they did is they went to more of a PRN schedule, yeah. uh, sort of working more, fill in as needed, not as consistent. Uh, and the overarching trend, uh, practitioners my age, your age, young young people like you, uh, you know, are, are cutting back the number of days that they see patients. What does our audience say? Okay, we gave them a lot of choices on here. So uh, more than five days a week, let's see, is 20%. Pretty evenly, look at this, 8% is two days a week. 8% is three days a week. 20% is four days a week. Pretty good. Yeah, so what we're seeing, looks like about 40, about 50% uh, of the group, 50, 60% of the group is seeing patients uh, four, four more days a week. So if you think about that, so let's put, well, I want you to keep that number in mind as we show some other slides that when we talk about the number of optometrists, that only 60% are seeing patients four more days a week. And that those that data, uh, your answers are right in line with what we see when we do when we do other groups or other audiences. And why does it matter? I mean, I think that when you look at demographics, the reason we want to show this is, is to continue to make the case for the future of optometry truly is bright. There's a lot of opportunity. And if even one or two more people one or 2% decide they want to cut back a little bit. 
what is it going to do to supply and demand and where are we going to be? Yeah, and, and so this slide will sort of summarize uh, everything. And the, the portion on the right there just sort of shows the increase, the slow, gradual increase in the number of optometrists. Uh, on the left, though, the U.S. optometrists by age bracket. So the 44,000, and I think, think this data, I think I put this together, uh, 2019, just right before COVID, about 44,000 ODs. And if you look at the total in 2019, 2020, the number of ODs over the age of 50 was 40%. Now, if you take a look on the right there where it says 26,000, the 26,000 were the number of independent optometrists. And in 2019, 2020, when, the, when I put this together, 60% of the independent ODs out there over the age of 50. And so if you put that into context, add five more years to all of these ages, fill in the bottom down there, you'll see that to think that maybe 25 or 30 or 35 percent of all ODs would retire in the next 10 years. Wow. It fits actually fits in directly with this. And then we'll talk about how, how those ODs get backfilled uh, as we go forward. Yep. So this one, as you look at the slide again, lots of information on there. Let's go ahead and look. At, so look at the bar graph. You can see that you have blue is men, orange is women. And what we want to look at on this one, which I think is very interesting, the very first column, what you're seeing is the uh, under 40 years old, you've got what, almost double, not quite, but almost double the number of women in practice, 41 to 50, still more women than men. And then you move 51 to 60, now you start to change, it flips. So you've got more men than women, and you can see as it changes as, as we get older here. The other thing we can take from this is overall, 45% of practicing optometrists are female. And in 10 states, it's 70% women to 30% men. Now, okay. Yeah, and, and in the schools, we know that the incoming classes uh, across the board, 70% female, 30% male. Uh, and a lot gets made out of this slide. It does, and Carl knows, I've told him the story. Some of you may have heard it as well. When I first started practicing, finished my residency, went to Tallahassee, and I was working in Tallahassee at the time, went to a meeting, and I was looking for, maybe looking for a job, something I would want to do different, and, and someone approached me and said, hey, April, and it was meant to be very kind, nothing negative about it, and I didn't take offense, but this gentleman said to me, April, I would love to bring you into my practice, but you know, you're just going to want to have babies. And then you're not going to want to work full time. And I don't know how that's going to work out for me because I really need somebody that's going to be there all the time. Yeah. And how did that story turn out? Well, you know, I've been all over the place. My path has been part-time, full-time, part-time, full-time, part-time. It's been what I've wanted it to be. And so what I think is very interesting, though, and I'll ask Carl this question, is it just women? Yeah, we, and we talk about this slide a lot. Uh, so from my perspective, anyway, this this is the the what we're going to talk about work. I'm going to say the the dirty words work life balance uh, and people maybe not wanting to work. And we saw it in the previous slide that, you know, a, a large majority of doctors don't work, uh, you know, five days a week. 
Uh, I think optometry is great because it, in a lot of ways, affords that opportunity. Right. So I think that's attractive to all genders. Exactly. Uh, so I, I don't think that this is a gender uh, slide at all. I really think, or that component's not, it's really generational. Right. Uh, and I think, you know, I think I new agree. graduates, and I think sometimes newer and younger graduates get a little bit of a of a bad rap on, hey, they want work-life balance, they want this and that. Good and man, exactly. I look at them and say, wow, I wish I'd been that smart and wish I would have been thinking like that at their age. So, right. so good for them. But obviously we're, and, and a lot of what we say tonight, you could take not, you could take the word optometry out yeah. and insert any healthcare profession and it would be true. Uh, and it's no different in the in the male female uh, distribution of of optimo healthcare providers. So you want to ask, ask them this question because okay. this one ties into the patient, right? And this one is one we hear a lot. It's interesting too. You sort of asked me this earlier. So the question you're going to see in a moment is, what level of medical care do you provide? And we look forward to your answer, but it's interesting because as I go to CE courses, I'll hear someone who's speaking that's talking about medical, something medical, I don't know, maybe it's a glaucoma course or AMD or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you hear them, Carl, stand up there and say, why isn't everybody practicing medical? And then you go to another class where we're learning about optical and you'll have the same exact thing said. Why does nobody pay attention to their optical? Yeah. And so it's it's always interesting to me how I can walk in same meeting I mean same exact meeting walk into one room and that's what I hear and the next room I hear the exact opposite so we want to hear what you guys think yeah it's going to be interesting to see because uh, we do this we do this quite a bit is that the answers not yet no. no no we don't have the answers yet uh, so we we do this question a lot too and uh, I'll share with you what we normally see. Uh, we normally get that about 60% of the audience says they're practicing full scope, doing everything that they can possibly do from a medical standpoint in their office. Uh, unfortunately, and we're going to share some data with you, CMS data doesn't bear that out. Uh, so this is actually going to be the third lecture that we do as part of this series is we're going to talk about uh, medical billing, uh, the need for it, and then we'll do a lot more deep dives on the how-tos. So what did the audience say, April? 52% say they treat everything and only refer if it is out of their scope. Okay. So a little over 50%. So where there's a disconnect somewhere, again, it's always in that 50 to 60, 65% range. If we look, though, and we go in and we look at CMS data. Uh, and, you know, probably one of the biggest databases in the world is with CMS and all the claims that are filed. If you take that data and look at it, only about 30% of all optometrists filed for a visual field. Only about 30% filed for fundus photos and only about 30% filed for OCTs and got paid for it. So we consistently see that 50, 60% of the audiences tell us they're practicing full scope. But if we go and look at CMS data, it will tell us really clear that only about 30% have filed for even one, just one field funded or photo or OCT, and that really the majority are filed by about 20% of the ODs that are practicing out there. 
Uh, and we're going to show you some data in a minute. This is the biggest opportunity. And if you're in the audience tonight and you're like, yeah, I, I just don't understand it. So either we've got 30% of the people that are doing it and not getting paid for it, or we've got a disconnect in what full scope is. So a lot of what we're going to talk about over the coming weeks and months, and we'll be on the OME platform, is, hey, how do you really do this? Uh, again, we go to all these lectures that talk about yeah. the disease states and treating it and all of that. Uh, we're we're going to work with you to try and help you understand the process and how to get paid for but it. But this is why you have someone stand in a, in a lecture hall and talk about the fact that we're not doing medical because the CMS data says we're not. And so uh, I don't know. I don't I don't know is my answer as to how to explain it. I think that you're right. I think people are actually doing uh, this type of testing for their patients and either not getting paid for it because they either don't know how or yeah. I don't know. We're gonna we're gonna work through it though. We're gonna help those of you who need help making certain that you are getting paid for the testing you're doing. We are excited to have CooperVision as a sponsor of our podcast. CooperVision is one of the world's leading contact lens manufacturers and they serve eye care professionals and patients in over 130 countries. Their innovative products help millions of patients see every single day. One of the technologies and innovations that we love the most about CooperVision is their groundbreaking technology in soft contact lenses that helps to slow the progression of myopia in children 8 to 12 years old at the initiation of treatment. Okay, so earlier we yes. showed my slide. Okay. And and I got to talk about it. <laughs> this is where I can get up and leave. No. Because this is April's slide and she loves it. Uh, up until now, we've talked all about us as doctors and all the demographics we see. Uh, so the other part of that patient-doctor equation is obviously the patient. So April, what this is showing that you know is from the increase in the U.S. population from 2010 to 2040, the projected increase. Okay. We currently have about 330 million people in the United States. Mm -hmm. That's projected to grow to 375, 380 by 2040. So when you look at this, I tell you it's a demographic slide of patients. What slide is this to you? Yeah, I could not help myself. The first time I saw this slide, I said, oh my goodness, look at the opportunity. And I don't just look at opportunity for me, myself, and I. I look at opportunity for our practices, but our opportunity for our patients to have problems solved. I mean, you look at this with me, and, and depending on how you see things, because we all are different type of learners, but you're seeing at least the blue bar at the top that's growing. So what is that group? That's 65 and over. So what opportunity is there for us in our practice and also opportunity to change these patients' lives. I would think of, what are the, the disease states we think of at that point? Anything you wanna think of. I mean, all of, unfortunately, I know as I'm getting older, I'm at higher risk of developing every problem. But the other thing that's opportunity is presbyopia. You know, presbyopia is technically a disease state. You look at macular degeneration, all the rest. All right, so that is the top bar. But let's drop down into the blue at the bottom, which is the zero to 14 year olds. What is the biggest thing we think about right now in that age group? Yeah, my, my opia management, myopia control. And what's incredible to me is how if we start at the very beginning 
and we do a great job there, what a difference we can make as all of those patients continue to get older, they are gonna love us for what we do for them as kids. And I can tell you in my practice, the one group that's been the hardest to hold on to is probably that 25, I would say 25 to 34 year olds. You know, they're not presbyopic anymore. They're busy uh, starting and raising a family. And yet, guess what? If I started taking care of them and managing their myopia at zero to 14, that's not gonna be that missing area anymore. We're not gonna lose contact with our patients and we're gonna be able to take care of them better throughout their lifetime. What an opportunity for our patients for better uh, vision for a lifetime and what an opportunity for our practice. Yeah, and, and April, that's one of those, you know, you can look at this, you can see the growing demographics. We'll talk about it a little bit more, but yeah. that's the reason, you know, in that zero to 14, you see different new modalities for managing myopia. So this is that, external business influence we see on our industry that, you know, they're going to uh, develop products and services right. to meet this growing demand. We see the same thing at the top end of the spectrum with the disease states. Yep. As we go through this too, Carl, somebody's asking a question about what the future physical plant would be for an optometry practice. So we'll figure out when a good time to answer that is. Is it freestanding buildings? storefront or something else and how many square feet is ideal if it is a freestanding building or yeah. a brick and mortar yeah so let, let's talk about that a little bit and changing focus if okay. we can yep uh, because that, that's a great topic to work through and Sounds we can good. debate that one and look for input from the audience as well uh, we won't talk a lot about this slide tonight we'll save a lot of this for next month uh, just the thing to know is that uh, there's over uh, 200 and 16, it's really about 220 million lives are now covered by managed vision plans. So, you know, whether we like them, don't like them, hate them, take them, don't take them, uh, we all need to learn how to work with them. Uh, when you join us next month, we're going to spend a lot of time uh, talking through how to manage, uh, how, how we should manage right. the managed vision plans. <laughs> So if you're discouraged by this one, don't be because, you know, it's it's reality and uh, we have found ways to be able to make it be a very powerful thing for us. And then, and then uh, take this slide uh, and give Dr. Richard Edlow. He's yeah. probably the only person other than me that spends as much time looking at the data. He spends a ton of time, does some great work. Uh, but, you know, just summarizing what we've said here, there's a huge opportunity in medical um, you know, the population in the over 65 is going to is going to grow by 30 percent. The demand for medical eye exams is going to be increase over 25 percent uh, in the next 10 years. And so that huge demand uh, is the reason we've all got to learn to do this. And we'll talk about this in a future webinar as well. Uh, you marry up the fact that we've got the managed care lives uh, the other huge growing segment of the population that's covered under insurance is our Medicaid and CHIP enrollment. Uh, now over 93 million uh, people, including, you know, a huge number of children right. covered under Medicaid and CHIP. Uh, and it's a it's an underserved and, and population. And we'll talk about that one in future webinars as well. April, you love this slide. As, I, I do, know. because we talked about where the patients are and what's going on with them. I think this one is very interesting because it shows the distribution of optometrists. 
And as you look at opportunity, I have people ask me all the time, and Carl and I, I remember lecturing once long ago, and it was in an area that was a very populated area of the country. Mm -hmm. And I remember the optometrists in the crowd being very annoyed, upset, discouraged, because they were having a difficult time making a living. And I at first was befuddled, like, I don't understand. It's look at the future of optometry. But what we realized quickly as we started to understand what they were talking about is that they wanted to live where they wanted to live. And I don't blame them. And I'm not saying you should change where you live, but I am saying that the data shows that there are places where there's more opportunity and places where there's less. So how do you uh, interpret the slide? Yeah, you know, this is pretty simple. Uh, in, in Louisiana, the worst patient optometrist ratio in Louisiana in the state, there's one optometrist for every 18,000 patients. Wow. So I can tell you if you're an optometry student out there or you're practicing somewhere uh, where you're like, wow, I just don't have enough patients, uh, move to Louisiana. Uh, you will have all the patients that you want. Uh, you know, Nebraska, even the best state, the ratio is one to every 4,675. That's more than enough patients, you know, for, for a healthy practice. Absolutely. Uh, and then, you know, there's lots of nuances in this. Choose Florida. Florida is not on the best. It's not on the worst. Uh, one of the surprising statistics that we like to throw out being from Florida is there are eight counties in the state of Florida that do not have an optometrist. So I don't think anybody thinks about Florida being uh, as rural and as big, but eight counties without eye care. So there are, you know, there are opportunities to go and to serve uh, and take care of patients. And those opportunities are going to continue to grow as we'll talk about here in a second. So let's talk a little bit about the schools and students in the last few minutes. Average debt, $185,000. Classes, we told you already, are 70% female. And, uh, you know, it's interesting as you survey the students as they come out of practice, they say they prefer to go into private practice. They want to practice full scope. And Carl said it earlier, they want work-life balance. Good for them. They want to work fewer days, but they want to live in the areas that may or may not be. Yeah. The best, as you saw on the slide before, for the most opportunity. There's still a lot of opportunity, don't get me wrong, but it means that they're going to probably have to be a little more creative in how they go about finding uh, the right job. Yeah, I mean, if, if this is our future and there's, there's what, 17, 1800 students graduate each year, uh, there's a lot been made about, oh, new optometry schools opening. Uh, well, the, the reality is we could open a ton of optometry schools and it doesn't matter. Uh, one of the biggest problems that we have, and again, this is across all professions, uh, for all of the slots in the optometry schools, there's barely one qualified applicant for each slot. So uh, getting enough students to fill classes and to have enough graduates that are going to fill the backfill uh, of this big bullus of doctors that will graduate is a serious problem that our profession is going to yeah. face. Uh, it happens in other professions. Pharmacy is having a terrible issue right now uh, with students, and so are a lot of the other uh, you know, medical professions. So it's not only us, but it does create tons of opportunity. Um, and, and some of this is playing out, you know, when, when you have a high demand of optometrists like we do today, 
the other thing that happens, and I don't think we have the salary data in here, is uh, entering level salaries of optometrists, new graduates, or optometrists coming into our practices is going up. Well, that had a big negative impact this past year on the number of students that applied for residencies. Uh, this graph comes from uh, the, the match service. And so essentially the number of applicants for residencies was down. The number, I think I heard that nearly a hundred residencies out there didn't get a match or didn't get a student in optometry. Wow. Uh, the other place, so it, you know, those increased salaries, that increased demand is affecting our residency programs. Uh, the other place that we hear it affecting is within the schools mm -hmm. uh, because a lot of the schools are capped at what they can pay. And so it creates a problem within academics on being able to hire uh, faculty and get faculty to be able to work. So there's all kinds of trickle down that's happening uh, from the demographics that we've seen. And it's not just us, as Carl said earlier, I think you'll see here dentists, uh, same situation, pharmacy and uh, primary care. I mean, you name it, it's happening across the board. So as we look at the residencies, you mentioned earlier, the, the challenge here is just, I think, Carl, the, the thing that stood out to me is the fact that because the pay is so good when they when students come out of practice or come out of school, it's a challenge to get people to get into the residencies at the pay that those are. Yeah. So what is the future? I think that honestly for me, you look at all of the opportunity we talked about, I think that if we focus on medical, and we focus on the vision, meaning we focus on our optical, we've got both that are really equally important. And, and to me, medical means I take care of my patients' eye health needs. Yeah. Do I do it all? Am I practicing full scope so I can take care of as much as uh, I'm allowed to in my practice? And then when I'm completed with that, when their patient is done with their exam, what am I doing to take care of all their other needs? What about products? What about the things that they want to buy? We talked about that earlier. What am I doing to take care of all of that? Yeah, and, and you know, we're gonna we're not gonna talk about it a lot tonight, but uh, you know, we're gonna talk about remote access care, uh, telehealth, telemedicine, teleoptometry, those different definitions. Uh, it, it's gonna become a necessity. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on it tonight. Uh, but especially if you look at some of those demographics, uh, that bullets of older independent practices, uh, a large majority of them are in our rural communities, uh, less populated communities all across the country. Uh, and we see that students may not necessarily want to move to those communities, uh, eight counties in Florida that don't have optometry. So we're, we're going to have a big gap that has to fill. Uh, the one that I love on there is the niche practice. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you talked about myopia, uh, any kind of disease management component. Uh, there's all kinds of, you know, we see sports vision, vision therapy, right. uh, pediatrics. We could, we could talk about the huge underserved uh, pediatric population. We talked about the 18,000 ophthalmologists. There's only 1,100 pediatric ophthalmologist. And a lot of practitioners are not comfortable or don't like seeing children. Right. So the opportunity for optometric pediatric clinics is huge. Obviously, we're going to get smarter on uh, managed vision plans. Uh, and we continue to see consolidation, both of practices and within the industry, uh, looking for efficiency. So uh, April, I think 
for tonight. That's sort of where we're gonna where we're gonna land and where we're gonna end. 